certainly want to celebrate uh, this church's eighth anniversary. Thank God for a new beginning. Eight is the number of new beginnings. And so, wow, with all the great things you guys have been able to accomplish in seven years, I can only imagine what the next seven will look like. Thank God for your faithfulness. I want to celebrate Pastor Eric and, and Yvette. I don't know how I could have been a youth pastor. I'm not really even older than her. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm grateful to be here today. Y'all all right? Okay, so let's do this. Um, if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis 16. If you have your own Bible, if not, the passage I'm going to use is going to come on the screen. Um, also, um, I've, been, I've, I've gotten great hospitality from your team, Danny and, and Brandon and, and what, how do you say that guy's name? Recap. Recap, yeah, never heard a name like that. <laughs> been very hospitable, made me feel at home. Do y'all want to make me feel at home? Okay, let me tell you how to do that. This needs to be a dialogue, not a monologue. For me, it makes me feel comfortable. Because I've never been here before, and I don't know the landscape, you understand? So what happens is, I know that you know what I'm talking about when you respond. So every now and then, I need the old churchy people to say, wow, come on, <laughs> preach, that's right. Stand up. You can't, none of that scares me at all. You can stand up and walk up and just go like this, all that. I feel like <laughs> it's encouraging. Who wants to play basketball in front of fans that don't encourage them? Amen. You just fight a little harder. You push a little, do a little better. So just encourage me. Say something even if it ain't what you normally do. <laughs> I want to give you permission to do that. Amen. Pastor, can I pastor the church today? And amen. All right. Thank you. Genesis 16 is where I'd like to direct your attention today. Thank you again. I'm honored to be here. I celebrate a pastor who leads with an open hand. He's so generous that he raises up great leaders and doesn't try to control them. He's not trying to build his own kingdom and empire. There's some great leaders who come through this ministry and have gone on to do great work. And that's a sign of great leadership. That's a sign of security that he will empower others to go out and not try to control them and limit what God wants to do through their lives. That takes a lot. That takes a great leader to do that. Yeah. Genesis 16, I guess this is, the new, this is the ESV I'm reading from. Beginning verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, oh, y'all stand up? <laughs> Will y'all stand up if I make a good point? <laughs> I mean, it encouraged me, you know. I'm getting to that point when I need encouragement. <laughs> now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and maybe that I shall obtain children by her. Stop right there. And Abram did everything he could to talk Sarai out of that idea. Abram said, nah, baby, I ain't going to mess with no other woman. I ain't, we ain't going out like that. I'm, you my girl. I ain't going to do nothing like that. No, Abram, let's pick up. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. He's like, sounds like a good idea to me. <laughs> Verse 3. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. 
Verse 4, and he went into Hagar, and she conceived. That was the plan. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Uh-oh. Verse 5, and Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. <laughs> I gave my servant to you, to your servant to your embrace, and when she came, she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Verse 6, but Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. You may be seated. I want to use as a subject today the danger of shortcuts. We live in a time period in modernity where modernity has actually fueled our impatience. We don't want to wait on anything. We're so impatient that we stand in front of a microwave like this. <laughs> Some of you are too young to know when fast food restaurants came out. Fast food restaurants were uh, established to help people who didn't have time to wait to have their food prepared for them. And then fast food restaurants weren't fast enough, then we had to go and have drive-through at the fast food restaurant because we don't have time to get out the car. <laughs> so we pull up to the drive-through and then we don't even have time to order what we want to order, we just say, give me a number four. You know what a number four is. I mean, number four, I ain't gonna say all that stuff. The number four, you know what a number four, I said four. We're so impatient when we pull up into the drive-through line. If the drive-through line is long, we'll go to another fast food restaurant. Or here's the other move: you pull up and you look inside to see how the line is inside and say, "Go on in there and get get in line now. I'm gonna stay in the drive-through and see who get up there the first. <laughs> two families in in, in in the same grocery store in two checkout lines. You stand right there with that stuff. I'll stand right here. See who get up first. Just stay right there and just come on because we don't have time to wait for it. And then we get loud in the grocery store when it ain't enough checkout people. We're like, I can't believe it's only two cashiers working, got 20 checkout lines in this zone. Can you believe it? Then we try to get somebody closer. Can you believe ain't but two people working in here today? I can't believe this in here. We're impatient. We don't have time to wait. We don't like traffic. If we see traffic, we, hit, we even see traffic. You on the road and you see traffic, you say, uh-uh, I ain't going. I'm going to take this shortcut, run around the alley, go through Mr. Johnson's yard, drive over the grass, cut through the alley, go up back street, go to one-way one street, and I'll be back on the beltway like I wanted to be in the first place because we don't have time to be slowed down. But sometimes our impatience bleeds over into our spiritual decisions too. This idea... That Sarai, Sarai is Sarah, so if I mess that up, this was before her name was changed to Sarah, and Abram was Abraham. So if I slip up and I don't say Abram, as I'm, I have to say Abraham, if I, and if I say Sarai, Sarah instead of Sarai, it's the same person. Don't send me an email. <laughs> when Sarai gave this idea to Abram, it is on the heels of chapter 15 when God had just assured him, I'm going to give you a son. You know, when chapter 15 opens up, God says to Abram, when he's intimidated, he's afraid. And God says, don't be afraid. I'm your shield, and I'll be your great reward. He is afraid because he has just rescued his nephew Lot 
out of, a, a, out of being accosted by four kings in a war, the first war in biblical history, and he went and rescued his nephew Lot, took 318 people who had never fought before and moved them to rescue his nephew Lot. And then when he was offered money by the king of Sodom for, for, for doing this, for accomplishing this, he turned down the money. And when he thought about it in chapter 15, he thought about it, he says, maybe these people are going to try to get me back, and uh, or maybe I should have took that money. And God says, because sometimes you can do the right thing in the right moment, but then later on you start wondering, I don't know if I should have did that. And so God comes to him and says, you know, I got you. I'm your great reward, and I'm going to be your shield. I'm going to protect you. And then he reminded him of how blessed he was. And then Abram responds, and he says, well, Lord, what, what good is all these blessings that I have if I don't have a son? That means Eliezer, my, my servant, is going to be heir to my inheritance. And, and, and God says to him in chapter 15, verse 4, he says, no, no, I'm going to give you a son. You're going to have your own son. He promised him he would have his own son. He made this promise to him. And then he took him outside. I love that. In verse 5 of chapter 15, he took him outside. And he showed them the stars of the sky. Because the reason why God had to take him outside is because sometimes in order for us to embrace the vision about what God wants to do in our lives, he's got to take us outside. He's got to take us outside of the circumference of our limitations. And some of you have never been outside. <laughs> You've never been outside Philly. You've never been outside your culture. You've never been outside your church. You've never been outside your denomination. You've never been outside your circle. And you can't see how big your God is because you stay inside. You, you stay in tight boxes. You don't talk to anybody. You don't talk, dialogue with anybody. And sometimes God's got to take you out of that small space so he can show you a big thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he took him outside and he gave him a promise. And then he said, the Bible says, then Abram believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And then God says, and before I, before I go any further, he told him in verse 7 of chapter 15, he says, I want you to take three looks. First of all, I want you to look up at me. I am the Lord your God. Then he says, I want you to look back on where I brought you from. I brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Then I want you to look right in front of you because I'm going to give you this land. Listen to this. Look up. Look up. What do you, whenever you need reassurance from God, there are three looks he wants us to take. First of all, he wants us to look to him. Look unto me. Look unto the hills from which cometh your help. All your help comes from the Lord. The reason why God wants us to look up is because we're so busy looking around at people who can't solve the problem and people who can't work up. And God says, get your eyes back on me. And then look back because your history should tell you something about me. I'm the one that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I, I brought you. See, a lot of people can't say amen in church to the look back thing because you don't want anybody to know that he brought you out of something. But I don't care how holy you look in here today. God has brought some of y'all out of some stuff. And you know that if the Lord hadn't brought you out of it, you wouldn't have came out of it. Somebody here knows what it is to be depressed. Somebody knows what it is to be sexually addicted. Somebody knows what it is to be at the brink of divorce. Somebody knows what it is to be sick on your deathbed. And you didn't get out on your own. The Lord brought you out. Don't you look at me like you cute in here. If you don't give God praise for nothing else, you ought to praise him for where he's brought you from in your, some of y'all done come a long way. He done brought you too far to be cute. I brought you out of Ur of the, Chal Ur of the Chaldeans wasn't even a bad place. That was where he grew up. It was a safe place. He was just waiting on his father to die, Terah to die, so he could take over the family business. See, some of y'all didn't come out the hood. You came out of a comfortable place. He had to bring you out of complacency out of playing it safe 
to take some risks. I don't know who I'm helping yet. And then he says, and then look here. Look, I, what I love about God is for some of us, the thing God's taking us into ain't even in the distance. We're right up on it. Somebody's right up on something that God has promised you. And I don't have time to work through the whole chapter in chapter 15, but I want you to know that all of these promises came to Abram right before he took this shortcut. See, see what you had, a shortcut is a compromise. By definition, a compromise is an attempt to do something that God wants you to do in your own way. And compromise may make a situation feel easier, but the consequences of compromise will always make things worse. And compromise always follows a promise from God. So this is, this is the anatomy of a compromise. God will give you a promise. He'll give you a directive. God says, this is what I want you to do. But after every promise or directive from God, there is a waiting period. God never announces a promise and delivers it at the same time. There is always a waiting period between what he said and what you see. That's why when what you see doesn't look like what he said, you got to stand on what he said because it doesn't have to look like it. If he said it, it's good. But sometimes in the waiting period, we have difficulty waiting because if you remember the text in chapter 16, they had been there 10 years. So this is a 10-year-old promise now. Now, God, you said this 10 years ago. And see, God, now, now I, I believe you're going to do what you said. I'm just trying to help you. Because you know faith without works is dead. So I'm going to help. I'm going to do a little work for the Lord on this. I know he said we're going to have a child. But I, I can hear Sarai saying, you know, you know, you should go to Abraham and say, hey, hey babe, um, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure, sure. What you want to talk um, you remember, remember you said, um, this is how I think Sarai talk. That's how I read about <laughs> You remember you said the Lord came to you in a vision? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he told you you, you was going to have a son? Yeah, and he said, no, no, wait, wait, I ain't finished. I ain't finished. <laughs> when the Lord promised you that Eliezer wasn't going to be your, your heir, but you going to have your own son, did the Lord say anything about Sarai? Did he mention me, Abe? Did he say any? Did he say I was going to? He said, no, nah, he didn't say that. See, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I have a maid named Hagar. Hey, hey. I got Hey, hey, who works for us. <laughs> Perhaps I can have children through her. I can, we can have a baby through her, and then it'll all be straight. I'll do the wedding. She performed the ceremony. I'll perform the wedding ceremony. Then she'll be your wife. And this is a legal, this is a legal proposition. This is not illegal. This is not criminal. If you're a woman during this time and you couldn't have children, that was considered shameful for a woman to not be able to give her or her husband an heir. You know, it's different than the way we look at children now. You know, people now don't want nothing to do with children. <laughs> Back then, the more children you had, the better you were. Now somebody had more than two children. People looking at, what's your problem? What is wrong with you? Y'all gonna need a van. Back then they had 16, 18 children. You know two or three generations ago we had like 18 children in the family. But we punks now. We don't know how to raise these children now. They got all kinds of situations. They own medicine. They got all these letters, ADHD, ADD. You just got your butt whooped when you was... When about three generations ago, they just whoop all that out of you and just straighten you up, get your life together. You ain't got nothing. You hard-headed. 
and then you would just get together. That's how we did it back then. So, so now, so now, if you couldn't have children, if you couldn't have children, then what you could do is, if you had the means and you had a maid, you could then have children to your maid. And so now your husband would have a concubine. And the way they would do it is, when that woman who was pregnant would deliver the child out of her womb, the the legal mother would receive the baby on her lap so that immediately the baby wouldn't just know its legal mother, but bond with her. That's how, that's how, that's how uh, didactical and controlled it was. That's how the policy and the plan went. And it wasn't illegal to do it. But watch this, just because something legal doesn't make it right. See, a lot of y'all might be engaged in a business deal, a ministry deal, or whatever it is, a book deal. I don't care what it is. I don't know who this is for. And here's the deal. God told you what he wants you to do, but you're at a point now where he's taking so long, you're thinking about doing in a way that really is it's not illegal, but it's not best. And if you do something that's not best, you're not going to have his full blessing on it. And the reason why you want to do it that way is because you don't want to wait. He's saying, God, it's been 10 years. I don't feel like waiting on this. But what you have to understand, God's waiting room is a place where he does his best work. We don't like the waiting room. There's nothing about a waiting room that we like. Here's what I know about the waiting room. The frustration with God's waiting room is he doesn't give you a number. Like if you go to some places, they'll give you a number and say, this is when you're coming up. Or you go to a restaurant, you got to wait. They say, it's going to be 25 minutes. Well, you said it's going to be 25 minutes. I can work with that because I know what time it is. So I know when we're going to get a table. But in God's waiting room, he doesn't give you, say, he doesn't say it's going to be 25 minutes. He don't say it's going to be 25 months. He doesn't even give you a number. Because you know why? We know why you pay attention to that. Because some people go in God's waiting room and they got there after us, but they get out before us. And we, because let me tell you what I know about waiting room theology. One thing I know about us is whenever we're waiting anywhere, in a barber shop, at a beauty salon, a restaurant, anywhere, doctor's office, let me tell you two things I know we noticed. We know who was in there when we got there, and we sure know who came in after us. I know you, I know you ain't going for it. She came in. I was here before her. That's what we do. But God will have you sitting there waiting, and people came in and left, and people came and left, and you're still waiting. People getting churches, people getting ministries, people getting husbands, people getting wives. Y'all ain't ready for this today. And you sitting there and saying, here I am. I've been praying for 10 years and God hadn't moved in my situation. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And I came to prophesy to somebody today. God doesn't give you big stuff fast. He don't give you big stuff fast. And what he does in the delay, watch this, watch this. The delay is not a denial. The delay is for development. Watch this so that I can handle what he's going to give me. But sometimes when we're waiting on the promise, we get tempted to compromise. A temptation to compromise is not sin. Just right now, they just have an idea. I think we should try to have children through Hagar. That's just an idea. They haven't sinned yet. It's only sin when they, when they actually carry out the compromise. So they had the wedding. Let me go through the story. They had the wedding. Abram doesn't even fight. This is true. Abram, if you follow his record, if he didn't know what to do, he would build an altar and seek God. Yeah. Bible says it's a different place. Abram would build an altar and call on the Lord. Yeah. I don't know where to go. Do I go to Mamre? Do I go here? I don't know what to do. Me and my nephew fighting. What do we do, God? He pray. He pray about everything. And he don't know what to do. His wife says, you, you want to have sex with this lady? He ain't pray. He ain't build an altar. He said, sound like a good idea. <laughs> sound like a good idea to me. Anything you can't submit to God is possible that you're compromising. 
And the reason why I know we're compromised because we don't really want to include God in it because he might mess it up. And since my wife brought it to me, some, watch this, some temptations are hard because of the source of it. And so we become numb to, being, to seeking God because it came from a source that we respect. So they haven't seen yet, but they say, you know, so, so they say, she said, we should try this, we try this. So here's, here's how it all worked out. The plan is going according to the plan. Is everything's working out. Uh, Hagar gets pregnant. Abraham has relationships with her. She gets pregnant. Everything's going the way it's supposed to go. But here's the problem. The plan only works if everybody remembers their position. I'm Sarai. I'm his wife. He's Abram. He's my husband. You're Hagar, the surrogate mother. This is not your man. As long as everybody keeps that in view, we're good. Here's what happened. As soon as Hagar knew she was pregnant, verse 4 says, she started treating Sarai with contempt. She got the big head. Because what happened was, what happened was the whole game changed because instead of looking at her pregnancy as a favor to Sarai, she looked at it as a triumph over Sarai. Because, like, I think that the lady that really wrote the song, because in her mind, Y'all don't know nothing about that song. That's a that's an R&B song. It says it's, it's a lady had a song. Heather Helly. He said he said in my mind, I will always be his lady, and in my mind, I will always be his girl. See see she was still a slave, but in her mind, y'all ain't ready for this. See some women think that they're supposed to displace you because they're better than you in some area, so that should give them access to something that they shouldn't have access to. So now we got a problem because one thing, even if a man doesn't recognize, women know when there's tension between each other. And when you try to put two women in the same household, you're going to have problems. I don't even care if it's a mother-in-law and a daughter. I don't care, I don't care how that. It just ain't going to work. So Abram now is in the middle of it. His wife blames him. And he just says, well, tell me, listen, it's your servant. You do what you want to do with her. So Sarai starts treating Hagar so mean that Hagar runs off. She flees. Her name means flee. Hagar means flee. She carried out her name. Be careful what you name your children. We just name them stuff that's cute because, you know, you just, she, she carried out her name. She disappears. So now Abram and Sarai are back where they started. They're older. They have no child because guess what? The baby just left when Hagar ran off. So now he's got a pregnant woman pregnant by him on the run. That's the first scene in the passage. Second scene, verse 7, there's a theophany that happens. The Lord appears to Hagar. He shows up at Hagar's presence in verse 7. She's on her way to shore. She's in a wilderness. Mark that. She's in the wilderness. She's on her way to shore. And God asks her two questions in verse 8. He says to her, Hagar, where have you been and where are you going? That's powerful right there. Where have you been and where are you going? What, I want to know about your history and I, know, I don't want to know about your destiny. God will all, God's always trying to get us past our past. He talks to her about where she came from, but he wants to talk to her about where she's headed because that's a very important, very important point. Because whenever a person is emotionally distraught, they, cannot, they always talk in reverse because her answer reveals her depression. God asked her two questions. He asked her about her history and her destiny. She only answered one question. He says, where you, where you been, where you going? She only talked about where she had been. He says, I'm running from my mistress, Sarai. God said, where you going? I said, I'm running from my mistress, Sarai. Whenever you talk to somebody that's stuck in the pain of their past, they can't talk about their future because all they can talk about is what happened to them. That's what victims do. 
Victims can't move forward because all they talk about is what people did to them. You cannot be victorious when you're a victim because you have to continue to sulk in your pain so everybody will feel sorry for you. So God starts asking her about her future. One of the reasons why he's asking her about her future is because of the direction she's going. She's headed to Shur. If you know anything about geography and biblical geography, she's actually headed back to Egypt. That's when she was a slave. That's where she's from. And it makes sense because whenever we're wounded in our presence, in our present, we tend to go back to what's familiar. Even if it was bondage. Even if it was toxic. We tend to go back to where God brought us from. (laughs) Instead of dealing with what we need to deal with now so that we can grow through it. And God says, I don't want you to go back. I, want you to, I, want you to, I don't want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to go back to Sarai. Now watch this. I want you to go back to Sarai and don't go back any kind of way. I want to deal with your attitude. I want you to go back and submit to her. Go back and submit. What is God dealing with? Listen, one of the reasons why this, this whole shift right here, because Hagar has a purpose too. Abram and Sarah have a purpose. But now Hagar comes up on the scene and God wants to deal with her character. Because God knows how this mess all started. The reason why God says go back and change your attitude and submit to Sarai is because this whole mess started when Hagar started acting nasty towards Sarai. This is very important for y'all to get. The reason why God challenges Hagar about her character is because he knows in spite of what she might be saying what the truth is. Here's what you got to understand about victims. Victims are never aware of their contribution to their circumstance. When a victim victim has been wounded, I guarantee you, if you hit hit Hagar right now on Twitter, if you texted her right here and said, hey, what's up, hey, hey, how you doing? She'd be like, I can't believe how that woman treated me. She just treated me so mean, and she was so mean, she was so cruel to me, and I ain't for, for no reason. For no reason, you just did that for no reason. What you mean, hey, hey, you ain't do nothing? What you did? Hey, I'm OMG, OMG, how y'all gonna blame it on me? Hey, how about everybody always wanna talk about me? They don't see, all I did was I carried her baby, and I folded her clothes, and I picked out stuff for her, and all I did was try to do what's right. Do y'all know any people like that? All they do is cry and complain about what everybody did to them. And you know what God says? You can tell that song and dance to other people, but I know what really went down in the situation, and this is not a about Sarai right now. This is about your nasty attitude because if you hadn't gotten arrogant, you wouldn't be in this situation. So I want you to go back to your mistress and go back with the right attitude. Go back and humble yourself. Don't just go back any kind of way. Tell me I'm back. I'm back because the Lord said come back. That's the only reason I'm here. I only want to be here. I'm here. The Lord, the Lord told me to come back. No, you don't go back like that. That's arrogance. This is how I want you to go back. Go back in there and apologize and say, Miss Sarai, I'm sorry for the way I behaved. I'm sorry for my attitude. I'm sorry that I got out of my place because in my mind, (laughs) deep is my man. I'm sorry for my attitude. I'm sorry for that. And you have to humble yourself. Here's how you know you're growing spiritually. When you stop blaming everybody else for your circumstances and you can identify what you did wrong in the situation to correct yourself. Because what's going to happen in the very next verse? As soon as she gets her attitude together, verse 10 says, and guess what? If you do what you're supposed to do about your character, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven for you. I'm going to give you more descendants than you could even count. See, some of you are about to get blessed, but it ain't going to be, you ain't going to get blessed till you get right. 
And you can't get right when everybody else is wrong. You can't get right saying, look how Sarah did me, and them people crow, them people crew, and you can't see yourself. God wants you to see you. Lord, 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 show me me. Everybody say that. Lord, show me me. Whatever the circumstance, your job is not to fix other people. Lord, fix me. Because I've never seen a situation, there rarely are situations where we haven't made some contribution to the circumstance, particularly when we're adults. So here's the situation. God says, I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to bless you. In fact, you're pregnant right now. Hey, God, I'm almost done. You're, you're pregnant right now. Now, you're going to have a child. He's going to be wild, though. Verse 11. He's going to be off the chain. You can't invite him to the cookouts. He can't come to family reunions. He can't. He can be fighting everybody. He's going to be a wild man, Ishmael. Wild child. Check this out. Sarah has no child. Hagar is carrying a wild child. Sarah's womb is barrenness. In Hagar's room, womb is badness. Be careful when you think you want what somebody else has. And you don't know what comes with it. <laughs> I want to be, I'm ready, doc, give me the mic. You don't have a clue what comes with asking for what you're asking for. He's going to be a wild child. You know, that's rough when you got a wild child. Them the children have you at the school all the time. The phone ring, and you go, oh, Lord, is this the police or who's calling? Wild child, wild child, wild child. Wild child is that child, you know, you, you, some children continue to be wild because their parents empowered them to be wild. Because we side with them all the time. When he got put out to first school, you could have said it was racism and it was the system and the school system bad. But after the fourth school, now we know. <laughs> that ain't the system, that's, that's a little Ray Ray. Let me wrap this up. We get down to verse 15. And the Bible says in verse 15, you got verse 15? Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called his name, the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Watch this. She gave Abram a son. Hagar gave Abram a son. Abram named him Ishmael. Hagar gave Abram a son. Abram named him Ishmael. No mention of Sarah. That's not how it was supposed to go. Remember, she's supposed to deliver that baby right on Sarai's lap. Trust me, Sarai is not in this delivery room. There was no baby shower. There will be no cigars lit after this baby is born. This is a mess. And it all started with a compromise. Let's try it like this. You know what, back in verse 2, back in verse 2, Sarah says something deep. She says, she says, the Lord has kept me from having children, verse 2. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Then you know what she should, she should stop right there and say, and since, Lord, you have prevented this, you must have a reason for it. And since it's taken this long, you must be up to something. Or, or they could have just said, okay, Lord, this is what we're thinking about doing. We're thinking about helping you out. We're thinking about going through Hagar to have these children. Is that okay with you? Right, right. 
Maybe they could have just joined hands and said, let's, let's pause and pray. God, listen, this is what we're thinking about doing. We're really, we're, we really think this is a great idea, Lord. Now, what do you think? We're going to wait on you. If you give us peace, if you give us, you give us this blessing, we're going to go forward with it. But you have to at least, if you're ever thinking about adding a human addendum to a divine promise, you at least need to check in with God. I mean, you're going you're gonna, to, and see, here's the, here's the thing. A lot of compromises are subtle, but they can be dangerous. So my word is, my word is, don't force what God has delayed. I don't know, I, don't, I'm just, I just want to tell y'all something. Don't force what God has delayed. Every delay from God is intentional. Because he, his timing is, as for God, his way is perfect. It is, it, it is immature to try to force a move of God when he has paused it. There's a purpose for the pause. There is something else he is up to because he causes all things to work together for good. It is reckless to move past a barrier that God has put in place just because you can. It is possible to give birth to something out of human effort. What this picture is, this, you can have a Hagar in your life. You can have an Ishmael. You can develop an Ishmael ministry. You can give birth to something in your own human effort. Yeah. It'll be a mess. Yeah. It's not like you can't give birth to something. But is it the blessing of God? Is it the time of God? What God wanted to give them didn't come for another 14 years. Can you wait on them and trust him when you can't trace them? Here's my word. Here's a word. Don't look for the easy way out. Look for God's way through. If it's not about my accomplishment, am I getting what I want? I've been waiting so long. I've been waiting so long. Here's, here's, here's one thing I say to single people. I'll, I'll end with this. A lot of people want to get married. You know, I believe it's better to marry than to burn. I really do believe that. But I also believe that marriage is difficult. Marriage is not a natural thing. You got to work at a marriage. You got to work at marriage. But see, people come to church and say, well, you know, Pastor, I know you got premarital and you got these classes you want to take. You're doing duty sessions. But see, you know, the Lord brought us together. See, this God did this here. This, I know what other people go through, but see, we, you know, this is all the Lord. <laughs> the Jesus, you know. And them same two people, five years from now, look at, I said, well, you told me this was all the Lord. This is all Jesus up in this, this relationship. And so some people, because they don't want to wait, don't want to go through a process of preparation for marriage, they just want to go get married. You can go down Vegas, you can go to Florida, you can go overseas. You can find somebody to marry. You can go to the courthouse, go and elope. You look at the first marriage in the Bible, when God put Adam to sleep, when he woke him up, God was bringing Eve to Adam. He was walking. It's a picture of a father walking his daughter down the aisle. God did the ceremony, and he gave Eve away. When the preacher said, who gives this woman to be married? God could say, I give her. I got her covered, and I have approved of you. No woman should marry a man without a spiritual authority's blessing on it. Somebody's got to Somebody's got to evaluate this dude and say, I did a background check on him, did a credit check on him, did a criminal background check on him, checked his future 
checked his attitude, read his emails. I, did, I went on his social media site, and I think he's good to go. Do not marry a man and you don't have a man. I don't even hear it as your father. You don't have some spiritual authority who can say, I do. Who gives this woman? There needs to be several I do's at a wedding. Not just the husband and the wife, but an authority said, I do. You can take a shortcut. You can go down to the courthouse and say the Lord was all over this one. We didn't want to do it God's way. I don't know who this is for, but as we bow our heads and close our eyes, my prayer is that you would not choose to compromise. Whatever the circumstance, whatever is before you, do not force what God has delayed. He knows what's best. Sure, the Bible says, knock and it shall be open, seeking you shall find, and all that. That's wonderful. But if the door doesn't open, don't go get somebody else to pick the lock because you know somebody that can. Trust the God. Here's what God says. As for God, my burden is easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. When God opens a door for you, you may have to work and labor and pray and there may be warfare, but I've seen in my own life, when God opens a door, it just opens. It just opens. When it's time, you'll know it. Don't move too fast. Don't move too fast. If you go slower, you'll get there faster. And appreciate and value everything along the way. The journey is as important as the destination. Don't miss what he wants to teach you along the way. Father, thank you for this truth. Thank you for this biblical example. I pray that uh, we will not only be enriched by this truth, but we'll be informed and governed by it. That we won't be all over the place trying to force things to happen. That we won't be passive and, and, and not work and do our part. But let us work with you and be in partnership with you and not move in front of you. And help us to not compromise. Well, even though compromise may make things feel easier, the consequences will make things worse. Thank you for this warning and for this truth today. In Jesus' name, amen.